The stock market continues its slide as Joe Biden's team touts his economic prowess. Kamala Harris says we need diversity in space. And American helicopters are reportedly evacuating our embassy in yet another country. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Do you like your web history being seen and sold to advertisers? No? Me neither. Get ExpressVPN right now at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Speaking of which, you should be protecting your internet service, right? I mean, how many times do I have to tell you people this? If you leave your internet service open to anyone, this is a stupid move because many of those companies, they just hate your guts and they use the data to not only target you, but also they use that data to actually promulgate profits for themselves that they then use to target you. So stop handing over all that personal data. It's a dumb thing to do. Think about how much of your life is on the internet. Every site you visit, video you watch or message you send gets tracked and data mined. When you run ExpressVPN on your device, the software hides your IP address, which is something big tech can use to personally identify you. So ExpressVPN makes your activity harder to trace and sell to advertisers. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your internet data to keep you safe from hackers and eavesdroppers on your network. And ExpressVPN does all of that without slowing your connection, which is why it's rated the number one VPN service by both Mashable and TechRadar. What I like most about ExpressVPN is it's super easy to use. Download the app on your phone or computer, tap one button, now you're protected. So stop handing over your personal data to the big tech monopoly that mines your activity and sells your info. Protect yourself with the VPN I trust to keep myself safe online. Visit expressvpn.com slash Ben. That's expressvpn.com slash Ben. Get three extra months for free. Go to expressvpn.com slash Ben right now to learn more. Well, Joe Biden's team says he's doing an amazing job. And again, we have been told that dark Biden is here, that it is because of Joe Biden being an amazing president that the Democrats are starting to see a certain level of electoral recovery going into 2022. That is not true. It has nothing to do with Joe Biden. Joe Biden remains a terrible and unpopular president. I don't know why I have to keep reminding folks of this, except that everyone seems distracted over Trump and the Mar-a-Lago raid, or they are distracted by the overruling of Roe versus Wade. But it is important to remember that the people in power right now are extraordinarily bad at their jobs, truly and tr- and completely horrible at their jobs. And yet they continue to maintain they're actually very good at their jobs. So yesterday, once again, stocks and treasury prices fell with the stock retreat accelerating into the close, according to the Wall Street Journal, as investors remained unsettled by the Federal Reserve's resolve to keep fighting inflation, even if it causes economic pain. Again, that would have been unnecessary if we didn't have a 40-year high in inflation brought about by continuous and endless government spending. Joe Biden firehosing another $500 billion into the economy come January as all of these student loans reset. The S&P 500 yesterday fell 0.7%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average slid 0.6%. The Nasdaq declined 1%. On Friday, U.S. stocks had fallen sharply after Fed Chairman Jerome Powell said the central bank has to continue raising interest rates and keep that at an elevated level until it is confident inflation is under control. And again, you can expect that this sort of stuff is going to continue because the underlying economic health of the system is being attacked by Joe Biden's massive tax and spend regime. These are the moves that he wants. And those moves are going to result in long-term economic stagnation. A lot of people on the right have been focused for the last year and a half on inflation solely. I've said since the beginning, inflation, we actually know how to stop inflation. The way you stop inflation is you radically raise the interest rates. We've done this before. The one thing that you can't actually predict is how to stop economic stagnation, not at least when you are burdening the economy with trillions of dollars in spending every single year and radically increasing the national debt and passing extraordinary regulations on business, ranging from diversity quotas on boards to energy regulations that make it nearly impossible to have an efficient economy. If you are worried about the long-term health of the American economy, then you should be worried about the fact that Joe Biden's actual underlying economic policies are quite bad. Put aside the inflation. I understand Republicans, they focus on what is right in front of you. And the thing right in front of you, economically speaking, is the fact that everything is way more expensive than it was one year ago and way more expensive 
a year ago than it was two years ago. That everything seems to be getting more expensive and is more expensive. They are focusing a lot in on the rate of inflation increase, which is a mistake because obviously if the trend tends to stall out, you can still have highly elevated prices that become a systemic part of American life, even though inflation is actually decelerating month to month or flattening out month to month. So Republicans made a messaging mistake right there. But the bottom line here is that the serious economic problem is not just inflation. It is stagflation. It is the stagnation combined with the inflation. And that is what is coming. Because if the only thing that was making the economy super hot here was the inflation, and then you and then you cut out the inflation, what you're going to get is economic stagnation. And again, the inflation right now seems to be baked into the cake. Nonetheless, Joe Biden's team continues to maintain that he's incredibly good at this, that blowing money into the economy at a pace never seen in the history of humanity. And understand, Joe Biden's student loan bailout that he announced last week is the single most expensive executive action in the history of the country. It is not anything else. It is not Obamacare. Obamacare is an actual bill. This is not a bill. This is the president of the United States saying, I'm just going to blow half a trillion dollars into the economy, unpaid for, completely unpaid for. Well, according to Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, this means that Joe Biden is doing historic life-changing good for the United States. I think most Americans beg to differ. We're just saying that this is something that the Federal Reserve is going to, we don't want to step on, um, you know, what the Federal Reserve is going to do. Our goal is to uh, to keep bringing down inflation without sacrificing uh, the historic uh, and life-changing economic gains that we have seen uh, this country has made over the last 18 months. And, you know, as Powell said, uh, uh, as Powell also said, the economy continues to show strong underlying momentum. We have regained all of the jobs lost during the pandemic. And if you look at the labor market, uh, it, it, you know, consumers are spending, as I said, what businesses are, are investing and what American I industry is producing. You continue to see the resiliency in our uh, in, in our economy. And that's what matters. Well, actually, retailers are now having to discount all of their prices as they are starting the spending. The spending is coming under control now. People are starting to pull back a little bit in expectation of a recession. Investors are starting to see a recession on the horizon, which is why the stock market has been dumping. And, and meanwhile, Jerry Bernstein, the White House chief of economic advisors, he's out there trying to explain that spending money is actually quite good for the economy. We have to spend more money. In fact, we are lowering the debt by spending more money, which is somehow like saying that, that the best way to avoid monkeypox is to go to as many same-sex orgies as humanly possible. Here's Jerry Bernstein. Let's say I have $15,000 in credit card debt that I can't cover with my income, right? That's my, my deficit. So I've got $15,000 that I can't cover. So if, if someone gives me $5,000, and so now my debt is, is $10,000, I didn't just make $5,000. I don't have $5,000 extra dollars. I'm still dealing in a deficit. So how is that something I can use to pay so, for, yeah. uh, you know, to pay for furniture for my house. I can't. So That's I not money probably, I have now. So, so the way to think about this is that the government is taking in way more uh, in both receipts and spending way less uh, than we have been in prior years. But it's still a and huge the, deficit. The, and the net, yeah, the deficit remains a negative. Right. No we question. Still, we still spend but, more than we have. Well, with geniuses like this, you should probably count on them to handle the economy. Or alternatively, maybe you shouldn't since they are blowing out the value of the U.S. dollar through inflation and they're trying to bring it back through interest rates. 
Bottom line is this. These are manipulators. They are bad at the manipulation. So why wouldn't you diversify at least a little bit into precious metals? During the 2007 recession, Washington Mutual, Lehman Brothers, Chrysler, multiple blue chip stocks went down to zero overnight. Could that happen again? Well, why not? They blew it the first time. Throughout history, gold has always been your best hedge against inflation and uncertainty. Smart Americans diversify their savings to protect themselves from downturns in the market due to global instability or a falling dollar. It's not too late for you to take action right now. Birch Gold Group helps you hold gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account. In fact, if you have a 401k or IRA that's underperforming, just text BEN to 989898. You can convert that IRA in precious metals right now. Text BEN to 989898. Birch Gold will send you a free information kit on diversifying into gold tax-free. Take the necessary steps to hedge against government malfeasance. Protect your hard-earned money today. Get your free information kit. Text BEN to 989898 right now. Trust gold when you can't trust the people who are in charge. I don't. That's why you should probably invest the way I do by heading on over to Birch Gold Tech Spend to 989898 to get started. Okay, so Jared Bernstein is out there trying to explain to you that he's bringing down the deficit by expanding the deficit. Again, if you the, the actual analogy that, that Martha McCallum should be using here is if I am in a $15,000 hole on my credit card debt this month, and then next month I'm in a $7,000 hole, that doesn't mean I'm bringing down the deficit. I'm increasing my total debt. My deficit may have reduced month to month, but I'm still racking up the debt. But but they keep just lying about this stuff in order to make you feel better about an economy that is set for a pretty long-term stagnation here. Again, this is not coming from me. The Biden administration, when they came into office, they were forecasting that after a couple of years of explosive growth, thanks to the recovery from the, the, the artificially induced COVID economic shutdown, that after a couple of years of really good growth, you're going to get economic stagnation at the level of 1.6, 1.7, 1.8% GDP growth from here on out. Those are bad numbers. Those numbers would not even keep up to the 2% inflation that is the Fed's target. That was the stuff that, that Biden was foreseeing. Okay, but it turns out Biden's really bad at this. So the stuff that he foresees is typically more optimistic than what actually materializes. And so much of this has to do with the decision to cram down on the economy a variety of rules and regulations that have nothing to do with efficiency or economic growth and have everything to do with an ideological commitment to quote-unquote equity or diversity. You saw this yesterday when there was a piece from the Associated Press about how the Federal Reserve was unbelievably diverse. And we were supposed to be so just happy about this. The Federal Reserve is the most diverse that it has ever been. And we're supposed to be excited because after all, sure, they're really bad at this and they've created 40-year highs in inflation, but it's a bunch of gay guys doing it. Aren't you excited? It's that trans woman over there who has decided to make your dollar worth less than it was one year ago. I know it's bad for you. In no other area of American life would you think... It's a, you are being criminally victimized by this human being, but that human being is a minority. So do you feel better about it? And the answer, of course, is no. And yet this has now been baked into the economic cake in a variety of ways. So for example, right now, the NASDAQ has requirements that listed companies have to diversify their boards. This is the stupidest nonsense I've ever heard in my entire life. The point of having a NASDAQ listed company is that it be as efficient as possible on behalf of its stockholders. You shouldn't have the NASDAQ saying in order to trade with us, you have to have a gay person, a Native American, and a little person with bisexual tendencies. It's, it's ridiculous, right? It puts inefficiencies into the game directly, right? The idea is to make the market more inefficient that way because if these were the most efficient picks, they already would have been there on the board, right? You wouldn't have to actually do central casting for the racially diverse street gang that you do in Hollywood. That's not how you cast the board of a company. This stuff is so absurd, by the way, that I have a friend who uh, has a publicly traded company. And he was actually contacted by the NASDAQ and asked, you know, your board is not diverse enough. You don't have enough women on the board. And he said, what if I just call myself a woman? Then what would they do? 
And the answer is they couldn't do anything, right? He could call himself a woman and just diversify his board magically. His wife might have a problem with it, but I'm not sure why. After all, he'd still be a man. In any case, the Wall Street Journal says lawyers for conservative groups argued in federal court on Monday that Nasdaq's push to set diversity targets for listed companies amounts to an illegal racial and gender quota, which of course it does. Two right-leaning groups sued the SEC last year, setting up a battle over the hot-button issue of corporate diversity and how far regulators can go to foster it. The group sued the SEC because the agency approved Nasdaq's listing rules, acting in its capacity as the stock exchange's regulator. Peggy Little, a lawyer for the National Center for Public Policy Research, said, quote, these rules impose unprecedented demographic quotas and disclosure requirements regarding race, sexual preference, and sex on companies valued at over $20 trillion. Monday's oral arguments in the New Orleans-based Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals marked the first time the legality of the Nasdaq's listing rule has been debated in a courtroom. Both the SEC and Nasdaq have argued the exchange's rule is not discriminatory and urged judges to reject the court challenge. Nasdaq's rule consists of two key parts. One part, which took effect earlier this month, requires Nasdaq-listed companies to disclose the gender and ethnic makeup of their boards using a standardized template. The other part, set to take effect in phases over the next few years, sets minimum diversity targets for company boards. Okay, that is obviously unconstitutional. If you're talking about the federal government that is creating regulations, forcing you to have quotas on your company board, obviously that's unconstitutional. This is a zero-sum game. It means that if you have a board of white people and you say, because they are the best qualified in whatever industry this is, and you say, I need two black people and a Native American, what you're doing is throwing those three white people out of this job. That is a zero-sum game, and it is racial discrimination. For most U.S. companies, the ultimate target will be to have one female director and one director who self-identifies as a racial minority or as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer. I mean, why not get all of them in one? What what if we have a a trans female director who is lesbian, meaning a straight white male who calls himself a trans woman who's a lesbian? Just do that. Companies that don't meet the targets will need to explain in writing why they didn't do so. So the burden is on you to explain that efficiency ought to outweigh whatever stupid diversity quota NASDAQ decides to set on you. The SEC and NASDAQ have countered the exchanges rule as just a disclosure requirement, but it's not really a disclosure requirement, not for long, because eventually the goal here is going to be to force a certain level of racial and sexual equity onto these boards. How about this? How about start your own company? How about that? How about if you want a more diverse board, go start your own company. If you're an angry transgender lesbian woman, go start your own company and form a board of people who you think are the most diverse. This idea that the government via the NASDAQ, ought to be taking control of companies and reconstituting their boards is total insanity. The SEC is trying to argue that the U.S. government didn't force the exchange to implement the rule, that NASDAQ developed the rule on its own initiative. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that the NASDAQ just came up with it itself. I'm sure that this business group just said, you know what? We really need more lesbians on boards. That's the thing that we desperately need. It had nothing to do with Joe Biden's SEC. And this is one of the, the darker parts of American corporate life right now is the fact that government is working hand in glove with corporations, to force those corporations to do its equity work. Which is why I am grateful that there are investors like Dan Loeb, who announced earlier this month that his hedge fund had taken a new stake in Walt Disney. He wants a refresh of Disney's board because he's looking at Disney and he's saying Disney has essentially sold itself out to the woke and we no longer want that to happen. As major stakeholders in Disney, we would like for them to be, you know, efficient. Loeb is concerned Disney directors don't have enough experience in digital advertising, the monetization of consumer data, and other areas that could help Disney boost profits as the company becomes more tech-focused, according to a person familiar with his thinking. This is the Wall Street Journal. Disney disputed Loeb's characterization of the board in its response to his letter, saying, we are doing a wonderful job. But of course, they're not doing a particularly wonderful job. In fact, they've taken a serious stock hit over the course of the last couple of years. So 
efficiency is now at war in the economy with the, with the equity principles of this administration and of this entire side of the political aisle. The equity agenda, by the way, was promised. I mean, Joe Biden promised that this is going to infuse every area of his administration down to the stupidest parts of it. Well, when you recruit for your own company, you should recruit based on the skill of the employees. Good news. You have a company that is happy to help you do just that. That is Zip Recruiter. Hiring can be challenging, especially right now when business owners have so much on their plate. Luckily, there is one place that you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. It's a place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. That's where we got somebody like Joshua. Joshua helps the trains run on time here at the Ben Shapiro Show. You need employees like Joshua to make sure that everything happens the way it is supposed to. ZipRecruiter will do that for you. ZipRecruiter uses its powerful technology to find and match the right candidates up with your job. You can easily review these recommended candidates and invite your top choices to apply. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within day one. No wonder. ZipRecruiter is the number one rated hiring site based on G2 satisfaction ratings as of January 1, 2022. Right now, to try ZipRecruiter for free, my listeners can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I ZipRecruiter is indeed the smartest way to hire to make your company better. It's just that simple. ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire to get started. So this week, Artemis 1, right, which is supposed to be setting the stage for the, for the attempt to reach the moon again. The Artemis 1 launch was canceled again, where right, it scrubbed after an engine issue. According to CNN, the launch of NASA's historic Artemis 1 moon mission has been postponed after the team was unable to work through an issue with one of the rocket's four engines. Okay, but... The really important thing is that when we do go to the moon, we have a lesbian on the moon. Lesbians on the moon. (laughs) This is what we need. It sounds like a bad pornography. Anyway, here is Kamala Harris, the vice president of the United States, explaining that the key to space exploration is that we send up a diverse group of people to space. I don't know why that's the key to space exploration. I thought it would be, you know, the most qualified people that we ought to send to space. We shouldn't actually, again, it's like they are just casting a movie. They're just casting a movie in their own minds. Here's Kamala Harris explaining space policy to you in her typically robustly articulate way. So much of space exploration is about science. It's about research. It's about testing our our ideas of what is possible and then seeing if it can come true. The diversity of thought that goes into that, the more diverse, the better the outcome will be. So it's very exciting. And I have to tell you that Space Force, NASA, really have made a a real solid commitment to diversity among who is getting into the program, who are going, who's traveling to space. And I think we can all be very proud of that. I'm definitely proud that NASA is less advanced than it was literally three generations ago with a bunch of white guys with slide rules, figuring out how to get a rocket that was basically a bomb strapped to a tiny capsule to the moon. It's amazing. Have you noticed that there seems to be a lack of competence? If you're making the case for diversity at NASA, this is probably the worst time to make it. They're making the case for diversity on the Federal Reserve. At the same time, the Federal Reserve is running the worst job that we have seen in 40 years. And like, diversity is our strength. Like, well, if this is our strength, man, I'd like to see what our weakness looks like. And then, with NASA, it's the same thing. Like, well, you know, we just had to scrub this Artemis 1 launch again, and we suck at this. But at least the people who are coming up with the failure are really diverse. They're, they're strengthening us. Listen, diversity is wonderful so long as it actually has a bearing on the, on the actual efficiency of the organization. Diversity can help when everybody is oriented toward the same goal. But when the diversity is the goal, it undermines the actual mission orientation. And this is true in any mission. It's something that Robert Putnam talks about in Bowling Alone. Robert Putnam is a left-wing sociologist, over, social scientist over at Harvard University. One of the things he found is he said, diversity is not our strength. 
Suggesting that diversity as a goal is the strength is silly. If you have some sort of external goal, like say the army, the United States army is a very diverse place, but it's not diverse in terms of its orientation toward the mission. The mission is what matters. So if you have the same mission and then you have a bunch of people with diverse experiences who can bring their perspective to bear on the mission, sometimes that's really good, but you have to actually be committed to the mission. When diversity is the mission, what you end up with is the thing that Europe has had to cope with for the last 20 years and has now rejected, which is multiculturalism as goal. And what that ends up doing is splitting people apart. It makes things less efficient. It makes the goal not that common orientation toward an endpoint. It makes the goal itself the constituency of the group, which is really stupid. Why are we doing a space program based on whether it's going to be a, a extraordinarily diverse, handicapped transgender man in space? What? Why? No other country, no other civilization has ever attempted anything remotely like this because it's idiotic on its face. And yet this is precisely what is now being argued. It, it, Kamala Harris, like, again, the priority is not actually getting to space or getting to the moon, apparently. The priority is making Kamala Harris feel really good about equity. Here's Kamala Harris explaining that um, the Artemis program is going to benefit. Get ready for this. I can't, I can't even explain how dumb this is. Here's Kamala Harris, our idiot vice president. I'm so proud of what is happening in terms of our space program and the leadership that the United States is providing to the world. Uh, the Artemis program is, is the beginning of the next era of what we have a history and a tradition of doing, of providing vision and inspiring innovation in a way that is going to benefit all mankind and womankind. And so I'm very excited to be oh, here. Oh, good Lord. All mankind and women. I love, I love the, the weird grin she gets over her face. And she says, I'm so clever, guys. I said mankind and womankind. I, I hate to break it to you people who don't know etymology. The word mankind includes women. They're talking about the species. Mankind includes women. That, it's mankind, womankind, child kind, people kind, black kind, white kind. The F is wrong with these people, seriously. But these are the priorities because it's all rooted in this assumption that what matters most in the world is quote unquote equity, meaning a result in which everybody is proportionally represented in every industry by ethnicity, race, or sexual orientation. It's all rooted in the stupidity of people like Ibram X. Kendi. Ibram X. Kendi, by the way, went after John McCorder. John McCorder is a columnist for the New York Times. He's not a right-winger. He tends to be very moderate on politics, maybe moderate leftish on, on politics. He wrote a piece talking about how standardized tests are not racist because they clearly are not. They're standardized. Unless there's actually something on the test that's racist, you can't just say it's racist because black people do worse on the test than white people. And Ibram X. Kendi tweets out, quote, John McCorder rejects the notion when black folk get lower standardized test scores, either the tests are racist or something is wrong with black folk. Calls this an artificially narrowed realm of choices. Then he explains what's wrong with black folk. Because according to Ibram X. Kendi, everybody is supposed to achieve the same result regardless of cultural differences or intellectual differences on an individual level. I'm supposed to get the same score as Einstein on every test because after all, natural differences don't exist. Like this is all stupidity, but the entire Democratic Party is now rooted in this stupidity. And it ends up with some really ugly results, not just in terms of the economy. It ends up with some really ugly results in terms of crime. For example, you're just supposed to ignore crime when it comes from particular minority groups. You're supposed to ignore the fact that there are wildly outsized rates of street crime in New York by young black men. You're supposed to ignore that because if you pay attention to that, you might be suggesting something racist. Well, it turns out that the equity policies of the Democrats, they, they don't make for great crime policy. But you know what else is bad that Democrats are doing right now? They've driven up the price of gas. I know they're telling you that the price of gas is coming down. 
It has over the past few weeks. It is still way, way higher than when Joe Biden took office, meaning you're still paying a lot of money for your gas every time you go to the gas station. You need Upside. It's just that simple. Upside is a free app that you can get at any of the places you get your apps. It's incredibly easy to use. I get cash back every single time I fill up on gas, even at certain fast food restaurants and coffee shops. It's not too good to be true. It actually works. To get started, you download that free Upside app, use my promo code Ben, you get five bucks or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Next, you claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside. Check in at the business, pay as usual with a credit or debit card, and then you get paid. In comparison to credit card rewards or loyalty programs, you can earn three times more cash back with Upside. Upside users are earning more than a million dollars every single week. That's probably why they have a 4.8 star rating on the App Store. So why don't you get started today saving some money? Download that free Upside app. Use promo code Ben. Get five bucks or more cash back on your very first purchase of $10 or more. That's get five bucks or more cash back on your very first purchase of 10 bucks or more with promo code Ben. Get started with that free Upside app. It's going to be saving you money everywhere you go from that local restaurant over to the gas station. Grab that free Upside app today and use promo code Ben to get started. Which brings me to a piece. It's a shocking piece from Armin Rosen over a tablet. It's titled, It's Open Season on Jews in New York City. Quote, the attack that sent 31-year-old Yossi Hirschkop to the hospital was an unmysterious crime, the opposite of a stone-cold whodunit. Security cameras recorded clear video of a group of four men approaching Hirschkop's car, with two of them repeatedly punching him through the driver's side window while his five-year-old child sat in the back seat. Another camera recorded the license plate and model of the attacker's getaway vehicle. The assault took place around 3.40 p.m. on July 13th, 2022, on a busy street in Crown Heights. Hirschkop believes his assailants were identified later that evening. In an ideal world, a victim's personal background be irrelevant to whether their attackers are arrested and prosecuted. But at least in theory, Hirschkop is someone with enough of a profile to keep the police and prosecutors focused on his case. The young Chabad Hasid is an energetic yet shrewdly understated local political activist, the kind of person who knows the total number of newly registered voters in Crown Heights off the top of his head, or who you might WhatsApp when you need to reach a particular city council member later that afternoon. He also manages a large urgent care center in Crown Heights, a position of real civic significance during New York's COVID nightmare. Hirschkop is also a personal friend of mine, even though people I am not friends with should expect the police to move quickly when they're able to easily identify the people who bloodied them on camera in broad daylight in front of their child. The police did not move quickly. No arrests were made during the two weeks after the attack, a span in which the getaway car got ticketed in a totally unrelated incident, Hirschkop says. On July 27th, an exasperated Hirschkop tweeted, quote, no arrests have been made despite the assailant's vehicle having been seen all over the neighborhood. My son still has a lot of trauma from the incident. We now Uber instead of walk whenever we need to go out. Perhaps not coincidentally, the first arrest in the case was made the day after that tweet, some two weeks after the attack. The first suspect was released on bail after the judge ordered a bond of 10 grand, significantly less than the DA had requested, according to Hirschkop. Hirschkop is confident that after a long period of delay, the NYPD is now making efforts toward arresting the second individual who physically attacked him. Perhaps the attack, which stemmed from a seemingly innocuous dispute over a parking space, was just too fraught of an event for police to want to handle too aggressively. Maybe someone feared that drawing additional attention to a group of young black men attacking a prominent Orthodox Jew would threaten to inflame tensions in a neighborhood with a long but mostly improving history of racial division. Maybe, but maybe not. Overload in the New York court system, increasingly lenient prosecutors and judges, and a police department in which officers are quitting at a growing clip all make it easier for even open and shut cases to languish and for people at every level of the system to find excuses not to resolve them. In a study released this past July, the New York-based group Americans Against Anti-Semitism found that of the 118 adults arrested for anti-Jewish hate crimes in New York City since 2018, only one had been convicted and sent to prison. One. That's an astonishing statistic. 118 adults were arrested for anti-Jewish hate crimes in New York City in the past four years. One was convicted and sent to prison. You think that has nothing to do with the equity ideology that Democrats are promulgating? Because let's be real about this. 
the vast disproportionate number of crimes committed against Jewish, uh, Jewish people in New York City are being committed by people who are ethnic minorities. And that is unacceptable. You're not allowed to notice that. It's why every crime report that you read all over the country, when a white person does the crime, it appears in the crime report. It appears in the newspaper that day. When it's a black person who commits the crime, the idea is that the media refuse to cover the race of the person. You'll have to get eight, eight paragraphs in before the race is discussed, even if the person is at large and the description of the suspect is necessary. Because again, equity above all. All of this is crippling to America's efficiency, to America's decent running, of course. And when we talk about things that are crippling to running America decently, we also have to talk about America's energy policy. So the United States continues to pursue green boondoggles, dumping a trillion dollars in the last few months into climate policy, calling it inflation reduction. It's not going to reduce inflation, not one iota. And now they call it a climate change bill. What they're really going to do is just dump hundreds of billions of dollars into boondoggle technology that is not going to pay off in any really efficient way. Meanwhile, in California, you have Governor Gavin Newsom, who's trying to legislate that there will be no gas-powered cars sold in the state by the middle of the next decade. Good luck to him there. Elon Musk is correctly warning about the rapid shift to green energy endangering the world. He said, realistically, I think we need to use oil and gas in the short term because otherwise civilization will crumble. One of the biggest challenges the world has ever faced is the transition to sustainable energy and to a sustainable economy. That will take some decades to complete. He should know, considering that he runs the world's largest electric gas ve uh, electric vehicle company. Right now, you have corporations that are being cudgeled into ESG, environmental social governance, by the NASDAQ, by the New York Stock Exchange, by the federal government, shifting resources away from the most energy efficient uses, meaning carbon-based energies like natural gas, and toward wildly inefficient energy uses. Again, the goal here is to ideologically pursue something that is not being reflected in the scientific realities of how energy is produced. And then they try to scare you by suggesting that global warming is going to end your life, that you're going to be drowned if, if the climate changes over time. A gradually changing climate over time is not an existential risk to humanity. It simply is not. And anyone who tells you differently is lying to you. Human beings are not going to disappear from planet Earth. Billions of human beings are not going to die because of climate change. In fact, the number of people who are dying because of climate has been going down year on year. You know why? Because people are excellent at, ad at adaptation. We are very, very good at adapting. We build seawalls in low-lying areas. New Orleans exists completely under sea level. There was a big hurricane last year. It didn't end the same way Hurricane Katrina did because the levees this time did not break. It turns out people are very, very good at preventing themselves from dying as a general rule, which is why there are seven to eight billion of us on the planet right now. And yet, if they can scare us into pursuing really bad energy policy, and presumably they will have done some good for the world. Now, there's only one problem with that, which is that countries that are not committed ideologically to their own inefficiency are going to take advantage of this. I have an article from the Washington Post, for example, today, talking about the Greenland ice sheet. It's a human-driven climate change has set in motion massive ice losses in Greenland that couldn't be halted even if the world stopped emitting greenhouse gases today, according to a study published Monday. The findings in the journal Nature Climate Change Project project that it is now inevitable 3.3% of the Greenland ice sheet will melt equal to 110 trillion tons of ice, the researcher said, that will trigger nearly a foot of global sea level rise. The predictions are more dire than other forecasts, so they use different assumptions. While the study did not specify a time frame for the melting and sea level rise, the authors suggested much of it can play out between now and the year 2100. So they don't specify a time frame. The predictions are more dire than other forecasts. It doesn't take into account human adaptation, but the, the idea is that we have to radically shift how we use energy on planet Earth. Well, there's only one problem with this, which is while we are busy hobbling ourselves by pursuing green, inefficient energy, I'm sorry, the tech just isn't there yet. 
Well, we are doing that. You know who's not doing that? America's geopolitical enemies who don't give a damn about the environment. Nonetheless, the Washington Post trying to scare you, a one-foot rise in global sea levels would have severe consequences if the sea level along U.S. coast rose by an average of 10 to 12 inches by 2050. A recent report from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration found the most destructive floods would take place five times as often. Moderate floods would become 10 times as frequent. Other countries are even more vulnerable. Those nations which have done little to fuel the higher temperatures that are now thawing the Greenland ice sheet lack the billions of dollars it will take to adapt to rising seas. And again, it's all about it's a crisis. We're all going to drown. We're all going to die. But all of the models, by the way, with regard to the, I mean, Al Gore is telling us all the polar bears are going to be dead by now. The models typically have been wildly wrong in terms of the effect on humanity. And if you even read the IPCC report, the outlying estimates, which always end up in the newspapers of the biggest headlines, those ones are the least certain, always and inevitably. But those are the ones that get touted by the media. Now, the reality is what this leads to is some really crap foreign policy, because when you cut off your own energy supply, it turns out that has real-world implications in the here and now. So, for example, take the war in Ukraine. America's failure to pursue with alacrity energy development has led to Russia being able to recapture all of its oil riches. Remember, we cut them off supposedly at the knees by embargoing their oil. This is the way that we are going to stop Russia. Well, it turns out that because the West had really destroyed its own capacity to create energy and they were dependent on the Russians, the Russians simply shipped their oil elsewhere. According to the Wall Street Journal, Russia pumps almost as much oil into the global market as it did before its invasion of Ukraine. With oil prices up, Moscow is also making more money. Demand from some of the world's largest economies has given Russian President Vladimir Putin the upper hand in the energy battle that shadows the war in Ukraine and has confounded the West bid to cripple Russia's economy with sanctions. Sales are booming in Russia's export market, the world's largest in crude and refined fuels. And new trade arrangements have given Mr. Putin cover to use natural gas exports as an economic weapon against Ukraine's European allies. Before the war, Russia supplied Europe with 40% of its gas. It has since throttled flows through Nord Stream pipeline to Germany and other conduits, driving prices higher, putting pressure on European households and businesses. Oil revenue more than makes up the difference. Russia is swimming in cash, said Alina Rebakova, the deputy chief economist at the Institute of International Finance. Moscow earned $97 billion from oil and gas sales through July this year. About $74 billion of that from oil, she said. The company exported 7.4 million barrels of crude and, and products such as diesel and gasoline each day in July, according to the International Energy Agency. That's down only about 600,000 barrels since the start of the year. Even with the dip in oil exports, Russia has earned $20 billion in average monthly sales this year, compared with $14.6 billion monthly in 2021. Shipments were rising again in August. Russia's oil market resilience has drawn a mixed reaction in Washington, which is juggling two conflicting goals, tamping down inflation with increased global oil supplies and keeping economic pressure on Putin. But here's the problem. They're not keeping economic pressure on Putin. And one of the things that is happening right now is that Ukraine is being forced to escalate its offensive into southern Ukraine because we're about to hit winter. If this Ukraine war has not gone like Russia expected it to, but Russia can simply keep up the pressure knowing that eventually Europe will cave because Europe bet on bad energy policy. So is the United States under Joe Biden. And that makes us more vulnerable. It makes us weaker. It means the Ukraine has to basically make all the territorial gains that it can before the winter. Because once winter hits in Europe, and all these European countries have tens of millions of citizens in danger of freezing. Suddenly, a lot of those countries are going to be a lot less interested in backing Ukraine's resistance to Russia. Everybody knows this geopolitically. That is why the Ukraine is now pushing very hard, the Ukrainian military. They announced on Monday they had launched offensive operations in multiple areas along the front line in Kherson in southern Ukraine, perhaps signaling the start of a broad and long-anticipated counteroffensive aimed at retaking territory seized by Russia. 
Fighting along a swath of the front line escalated sharply on Monday, according to Ukrainian military and civilian officials. The Ukrainian government said the military had breached the occupier's first line of defense near Kherson. The Ukrainian military also claimed on Monday to have struck a large Russian military base behind Russian lines in the Kherson region, destroying it. It was not immediately possible to verify the claims. A United States defense official lent support to the idea Ukraine was escalating its offensive in the south, saying, quote, the announced offensive shows the Ukrainians' appetite for progress on the battlefield. Again, the reason that they are doing this is because winter is coming. Everybody knows it. There would not be as much of a rush for this sort of offensive if it were not for the fact that we have pursued a really crappy energy policy, which again is part and parcel of a green policy pursued by the left, more broadly internationally, and pursued by the Biden administration. Speaking of which, the situation in the Middle East continues to melt down thanks to the insanity of the Biden administration. Every area they can, they are wrecking things. This is why, as I said yesterday, if Republicans focus on anything except for Democrat failure, they're making a large-scale 2022 mistake. Well, there's another mistake that you might be making right now. Maybe you overpaid your taxes over the course of the last couple of years and you don't even know it. If you own a business, the past few years been a pretty bumpy ride from COVID lockdowns to Biden inflation. You could probably use a break. Innovation refunds can help you. If your business has five or more employees and managed to survive COVID, you could be eligible to receive a payroll tax rebate of up to $26,000 per employee. It's not a loan. There's no payback. It is a refund on taxes that you probably shouldn't have paid in the first place. The challenge is getting your hands on that money. How do you cut through the red tape and get your business the refund money? The answer is you go to getrefunds.com. Their tax attorneys are specialists in this little-known payroll tax refund program. They do all the work, no charge up front. They simply share a percentage of the cash they get for you. Businesses of all types can qualify, including those who took PPP, nonprofits, even those that had increases in sales. The team at getrefunds.com have already returned over $1 billion to businesses. They can help you as well. Just head on over to getrefunds.com. Click on Qualify Me. Answer a few quick questions. This payroll tax refund is only available for a limited amount of time. Don't miss out. Go to GetRefunds.com. Again, that's GetRefunds.com. Check them out at GetRefunds.com and see if you can get back some of the taxes you shouldn't have paid in the first place. Well, folks, yesterday, in the fervor of my team's rush to bring me one of our official Johnny the Walrus plush toys, it mistakenly brought me one of my many other walruses, a luxury few men have ever experienced. You know, we take all of that Jeremy's Razor money We apply it to the walruses that we have stashed all over the office. That being said, this right here, this is the one true official Johnny the Walrus plushie. Greatest of walrus plush toys is now available at dailywire.com slash shop. A cuddly companion makes the perfect gift for any child or anyone who's enjoyed Johnny the Walrus by Matt Walsh. To be honest, this is a magnificent piece of plush. This is high quality. Rather than buying another stuffed animal for your kids from woke companies that hate you, buy these instead. After all, its pronouns are listed right on it. My kids enjoy their Johnny the Walrus plush, and I am sure yours will too. Head on over to dailywire.com slash shop or click the link in the description to bring home one of your very own walruses so you too can be a man of many walruses. Alrighty, so let's talk about Joe Biden on foreign policy. So you may have noticed that uh, there was video that emerged yesterday of helicopters evacuating Iraq's U.S. embassy. How many more embassies are we gonna have to evacuate by helicopter here under Joe Biden? It is incredible how bad he is at foreign policy. As bad as Joe Biden is on domestic policy, he is significantly worse on foreign policy. It is truly incredible. Here was video yesterday of helicopters taking off from the top of the U.S. embassy in Baghdad. So this is great. And there it goes. More how how many times can we, uh, did Joe Biden deny that this was going to happen this time and then it happened like it did in, uh, in Kabul, Afghanistan? Speaking of Kabul, Afghanistan, it is worthwhile noting that America's enemies are on the move because one year ago, Joe Biden pulled randomly out of Afghanistan and left the entire country to the predations of the Taliban. There are still hundreds of Americans who are stuck behind enemy lines over there, tens of thousands of people who worked with American forces, tens of millions of women who are stuck over there living in giant black sacks. 
because this Taliban wishes them never to have anything resembling a normal life. The good news is that, as you know, this is an administration that truly cares. So we hit over the weekend, the one-year anniversary of the murder of 13 American service people in Kabul. Remember that basically the Biden administration allowed the Taliban to take over Kabul while America was still there trying to ship out some of our allies. And this put American soldiers in direct line of fire from al-Qaeda terrorists and ISIS-K terrorists and all the rest. And 13 Americans were murdered because of Joe Biden's horrific policy. That's putting aside the Afghans who were falling from wheel wells from thousands of feet in the sky. Well, Karine Jean-Pierre, she was asked, you know, did you contact any of the American service members, families, the people who were killed a year ago? She's like, well, you know, we did put out a public statement. Uh, it's that kind of empathy and sympathy that, that old Joe is known for here. President marked the, the end of U.S. Uh, U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, um, the end of the war there. Um, how does the president plan to mark that occasion? Does he plan to speak to the American people? Does he uh, plan to honor the lives of the, the 13 service members who were lost? So, as, as you know, uh, last week on Friday, we did put out, um, uh, the president put out a statement, uh, released a statement where he named each of the 13 troops who were tragically killed uh, that day. The president feels uh, deeply about the loss that was suffered one year ago. He does. He feels really deeply. In fact, we have video evidence of him feeling deeply on Friday when he was asked specifically about whether he had spoken to the family members. Here was Joe Biden feeling deeply. Mr. President, have you spoken to any of the family members of the 13 soldiers who died last year in Afghanistan? Not today, but I have spoken in the past. Mm, well, yeah, that's, that's some deep feeling that you're noticing right there. Meanwhile, and what's happening in Iraq is the predictable result of what happened in Afghanistan, Joe Biden's Iran policy. Remember, Joe Biden is desperate to sign a deal with the Iranian government for no reason that anyone can discern. It makes no sense whatsoever. The Iranian government is becoming more and more intransigent. They're becoming more and more clear in the fact that they hate America, that they see this as a hoodna, that they see this at, at, at best as a temporary ceasefire that allows them to achieve an ultimate goal of a nuclear weapon with radically escalated military possibilities in the Middle East, in their ballistic middle pro missile program, as well as their conventional weaponry. And Joe Biden is going to give all of that to them. And what's happening in Iraq, in order to understand that, you have to, have, to under, you have to understand what Joe Biden is doing in Iran right now. He's attempting to basically surrender to Iran. According to the Jerusalem Post, after months of hibernation, Iran nuclear talks woke up again last month when the EU presented what it said was the final draft of the deal July 21st. Since then, Iran submitted its response, continuing to make demands on the sanctions relief and guarantees front. American diplomats and Israeli sources says Washington has not accepted yet, but the sides agree on most of the overall deal based on the July 21st draft. The EU text describes the implementation in four steps. On day zero, the Joint Commission founded when the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the JCPOA, was formed in 2015, would convene without the United States, which would only join the commission 165 days later. By that time, Iran and the West are supposed to reach an additional deal to free Western prisoners in exchange for freeing Iranian funds. So we are going to, again, ship them pallets of cash in exchange for prisoners that they are holding, which, of course, emboldens them to take more prisoners. That day, Joe Biden would rescind three executive orders pertaining to Iran, as well as secondary sanctions on 17 banks, which would free $7 billion for Iran. Iran would stop enriching uranium to 60% and reduce enrichment to 20%, supposedly, and allow for the IAEA to begin resumption of monitoring Iranian nuclear sites. Ah, oh, that's going to work out well. They've, they've been totally honest so far. Within five, deal, five days, the deal will likely reach the United States Congress, under the Iran Nuclear Agreement Review Act, that law requires any agreement lifting sanctions on Iran to be reviewed by the House and Senate. The White House would not be able to lift sanctions that were not in executive order for 30 days. If Congress rejects the deal, Biden can then veto it, except in the unlikely scenario, a veto-proof majority of two-thirds votes against it. Of course, that was an element of cowardice in the last JCPOA. Normally, a treaty has to be approved by two-thirds of the Senate. Instead, the Senate 
of the United States decided that unless they could muster two-thirds to reject the treaty, then the treaty would go into place. The U.S. would give a one-time sanctions exemption for Iran to sell 50 million barrels of oil and would permit business negotiations in the area of energy and aviation. Iran would stop enriching uranium to over 5% purity and start a preparation period to transfer information to the IAEA. By re-implementation day, Iran would have to fulfill its commitment to the IAEI. But the U.S. would then remove all secondary sanctions on Iran and all agreed-upon terrorist designations and explain to businesses what the lifting of sanctions means. In the coming years, the JCPOA's original sunset clauses would go into effect in accordance with the UN Security Council Resolution 2231 without any extensions, which means in 2024, limitations on advanced centrifuges, research and development would begin to expire. In 2025, the snapback sanctions mechanism, which brings back sanctions on Iran if it violates the deal, would expire. So I noticed that the calendar now says that it is 2022. So in other words, within two years, limitations on advanced centrifuges research disappear under this deal. In 2025, all the snapback sanctions disappear. In 2026, the restrictions on using centrifuges, including advanced ones, begin to expire. By 2030, the Iran deal expires entirely. At that point, of course, this means that Iran has capacity to take in as much money as it could possibly want for everything. And what the United States and its allies have received in return is effectively nothing. Effectively zero things. Because time continues to march forward. And Iran continues to march forward. This is just madness. By the way, the U.S. in the process of this would lift the conventional arms embargo on Iran. So Iran would have complete access to all conventional arms under this deal. This is what Joe Biden is pursuing right now. Well, Iran is looking at this and like, hey, maybe we can make some trouble over in Iraq because it turns out two thirds of the Iraqi population is Shia, is a majority Shia country. And so what we are seeing right now is massive chaos as the government of Iraq is in a state of almost full scale collapse. This has been true since Barack Obama basically decided to pull out all Western troops from the Iraqi theater, as it turns out. Once you pull out troops from these areas, things become significantly worse for America's interests. And so what we are watching right now is a slow motion collapse in Iraq that is going to eventually make it into a full-scale Iranian proxy. It's already sort of a quasi-Iranian proxy. It'll be a full-scale Iranian proxy. Meanwhile, Joe Biden is going to continue subsidizing the Iranian government to build up its arsenal in Iraq, in Syria, in Lebanon, in Yemen. It's it's unbelievable what he's doing in the Middle East. I mean, he's, he's generating war in the Middle East single-handedly right now through his Iranian deal. All right, guys, the rest of the show is continuing now. You don't want to miss it because we'll get into the details of what exactly is happening in Iraq. It's a little complicated. Plus, we have to get to the VMAs and the morality of the left, the morality they wish your kids to learn about. If you're not a member, click the link in the description and join us.